Okay, well, we are back in 1 Timothy. Uh, it's been a while since we've been in 1 Timothy uh, with the holidays. And, uh, and so we're going to continue to walk through this, uh, this letter Paul wrote to Timothy. And this morning, I am going to be preaching my job description. Because these are words that uh, Paul has specifically for Timothy this morning. But uh, it's not just for uh, the, the pastor of the church, the elders of the church, but it's the responsibility of every member of the church, too, that we need to be uh, pursuing godliness and uh, disciplining ourselves um, and training ourselves in the area of godliness. And so... If you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to uh, go through chapter 4 this morning. So we're going to race through chapter 4 this morning. And I want to read the 16 verses, all right? Now the Spirit expressly says that in later times some will depart from faith, devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by, by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hopes set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Paul has uh, 
on the heels of chapter 4 is chapter 3, and Paul has presented Christ as the source and the center of all godliness. As we pursue uh, godliness, we are not to pursue this in the flesh, but we are to trust the Christ who lives within us and we who live in Christ. It is all about Jesus. He is the center of our faith, of our focus, of our direction uh, in life. And so as Paul uh, begins with ver- uh, chapter 1 or chapter 4, verse 1, um, Paul is concerned about false teachers. And uh, he wants Timothy to guard against false teachers. The Timothy and the elders of the church, this is their responsibility. And uh, this has been con- a concern of Paul for quite some time. Uh, all the way back in Acts chapter 20, uh, before Paul's first imprisonment. And as he was heading back to uh, Jerusalem, and he knew that he was going to uh, uh, face imprisonment. Uh, he uh, desired to meet with the elders of Ephesus. And he didn't go to Ephesus, but he was in Miletus, and he requested the elders meet them uh, there, meet him there. And he warned the elders that, uh, that they need to be aware of the false teachers and guard against their teaching. And so here we have Timothy now. Timothy is the pastor uh, of this church. And Paul, too, is warning him. And uh, notice what he says in verse 2 about these false teachers. Uh, Not just that their teaching is wrong, but their teaching is demonic. It comes from the pit of hell. And these teachers are hypocrites. They are liars. Paul has very strong words for these false teachers. He, he doesn't miss words. This is, a, this is a serious matter. And these false teachers have been in this church because they're, they're influencing uh, believers, they're teaching believers that the gospel is not good enough. There's more that you must do to earn or gain God's approval. Christ's atoning sacrifice was inadequate. And that godliness comes from other means other than Christ. In church, we must understand and know that Christ is our only hope. It's not Christ plus something. It is Christ alone. And that's what Paul is laying out for Timothy in this passage of Scripture. And when it comes to false teachers and and their influence, I'm sure it can be um, a bit, um, not overwhelming, but... um, you know, they can come back, come across very persuasive. And false teachers have the ability to make Christ followers feel uh, very spiritually inferior. And they come across very superior. But we can't, we can't afford to be afraid. These teachers come 
from the pit of hell. And yet when they come across, when they come knocking on their on our doors with their literature and the things that they have to say, they, they, they appear, they have the, the appearance of morality and holiness and that these are good people. And yet Paul is telling Timothy and he's telling us that these people, their teaching is from the pit of hell. Their teaching is demonic. And so how do we tell? How do we know that their teaching is demonic? And the answer is, what do they believe about Jesus? Who is Jesus to them? Now, you'll hear them talk about Jesus, and on the surface, it sounds like, you know, their, their meaning, their definition of Jesus and who he is is just like ours. But you get beneath the surface, and it's not. In First John, uh, John's uh, letter, First John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, he says this, By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. And the spirit of the Antichrist is alive and well in this world, church. And we need to be aware. What do they believe about Jesus Christ? Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. If they believe that Jesus, His name meaning Savior, our salvation, if they believe that Jesus is our Savior, that He's the Christ, He's the Messiah. He is the Anointed One. These, we know, are from the Spirit of God. They teach truth. But if they don't believe that Jesus and Jesus alone is our salvation, they don't believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One, the Lord. If you go back to the Gospels and the, the angel's announcement, Jesus Christ, the Lord, has been born. The, the covenant, covenant-keeping God, God Himself. If they don't believe this, their teaching is demonic. What else do they teach? What else do they believe about the Bible? Do they they reject the witness of the apostles? Look at verse uh, 6 of uh, 1 John chapter 4. 1 John 4, 6 says, We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. They believe us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So, who is Jesus? The, the authority of the apostles and who, how, what they teach about the Christ. Do, do they believe 
the apostles' words. If they don't, in church, they are to be avoided. They are false teachers. And then there are other false teachers that make themselves more obvious than others. You know, you you don't have to get beaten beneath the surface. These are people who uh, call uh, right wrong and wrong right. And uh, they're they're arrogant. They're uh, prideful of their blasphemy and their rejection of God and, and Scripture. Let me just give you three examples of uh, what has transpired over this last year. There were a group of um, clergy people who uh, wrote a, a letter to uh, 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 Iowa law, lawmakers who were trying to pass a bill prohibiting abortions from the moment an unborn baby's, baby's heartbeat is detectable about six weeks into the pregnancy. And this is what these clergy say. These supposed men and women of God. It is not the role of the government to infringe upon a woman's right to make private medical decisions. Religious leaders from various denominations and faiths wrote, the 66 signers included leaders from the United Methodist Church, Evangelical Lutheran Church of America, Episcopal Presbyterian Church USA, United Church of Christ, American Baptist, and Reformed Judaism, religious leaders from Unitarian Universalism, Christian Church. It goes on. These are... These are people who reject God's word. They reject uh, Psalm 139 that God already knows the name of this child that is being formed in the mother's womb. They don't consider that life. They reject God's word. And then there's a... uh, a Christian doctor, supposedly Christian doctor, by the name of Carolyn Payne, uh, who was interviewed, and this is the title of the article. I'm not going to go into the article itself, but this is a quote from uh, Carolyn Payne. I love killing babies and abortions. I'm proud to do so. A supposedly Christian doctor. God help us. And then the Church of England recently issued a pastoral guidance calling uh, for a celebratory service for gender transitions. The celebration might include baptism for transitioning people to rededicate their new life and identity to God, and also the laying on of hands and using the person's new name. Church, this is demonic. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. And God, Paul is telling Timothy to guard your guard the teaching of the church guard against false teachers and that teaching is 
sad to say, even more prevalent today as fewer and fewer pastors teach and preach the Word of God. Paul is telling Timothy in verse 4 of 1 Timothy chapter 4, For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it was made holy by the word of God and prayer. Go back in Genesis chapters 1 and 2, Timothy, and tell the people what God created. And when God stepped back after his days of creation, and he looked at creation, and he looked at the man that he had created, he said, it is very good. And people who reject what God has created, Paul is saying, they're demonic. Receive it with thanksgiving. Even if you don't like it. We were talking about this yesterday following the service. Uh, My wife is not a lover of cherries. And uh, when we were in college, we were invited over to this couple's house for uh, for lunch after a Sunday service, uh, and uh, and they served cherry pie. And uh, you know, Susan didn't want to be rude or anything like that, but I knew she didn't like cherry pie, and so I was watching her as to what she was going to do. And you know what? She ate that pie. She was. She was thankful for the pie, but she she swallowed the cherries whole. <laughs> she ate that pie. Now, I laugh at that, but then there was another moment with another family, and they served us pumpkin pie. And when the person had cooked that pumpkin pie... I think they forgot to put the sugar in the pumpkin pie. (laughs) And, uh, you know, the whole family was at the table, and we all took a pie to this pumpkin pie, and nobody nobody said a word. (laughs) And so, um, not to be rude, uh, I was swallowing the pumpkin pie (laughs) whole. (laughs) And so was Susan. But... uh, But yes, I don't know why I brought that up, but uh, we need to be thankful. (laughs) We need to be thankful for everything uh, that is uh, put before us. So uh, Paul tells Timothy, guard against false teaching and uh, acknowledge what God has created and not uh, reject it. And then in verses 6 through uh, 16, he talks about being a good servant of the Word. And uh, he's challenged Timothy to diligently guard against false teaching. And uh, and in verse, let me just read verses 6 and 7. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. He's, he's referring to verse 5 that we just read. And then he says, Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. Uh, 
what, what he's saying here is don't, don't focus on fads. Stick with the word. Preach the word. Preach the gospel. Don't, don't, don't swerve into the latest and greatest. Let your people know what saith the Lord, what God has created. Focus on that so they can recognize uh, truth from error. It must be Christ-centered. But preach the truth. And then he says in verse in verse 6, the Verse 7b, but train yourself for godliness. Church, if you want to be godly, Pastor Bill, for me to be godly, for me to be the pastor of this church, I need to know the Word of God. I need to be teaching myself, growing in the Word, and then I need to be conveying that truth to you. And if you want to know to be godly, you've got to know the truth. The, the God of this book. When God gave us this book, this was, um, this was His selfie to us. You want to know who God is? Get to know the God of this book. Know His words. Know His truth. And as we teach this, as we know this, we're not to keep it to ourselves. I am so thankful that the elders uh, decided this year that we would uh, focus on some key, important doctrinal truth. And moms and dads, I want to encourage you to get that app and you sit down with your children and you teach them these important doctrines. It is your responsibility to pass on your faith to the next generation. Don't assume that they're just going to get this by osmosis. That the church is going to be the teacher of your children. We will come alongside you, but mom and dad, it is your responsibility. And this is this is an excellent tool. And don't think that, well, if I just do it this year, then they're going to get it and we can go on. No, this is something that we have to come back to regularly. We must know these things. These truths leak you know, there's a lot of information that's coming to us all the time. And the older we get, the more our brain is crammed with stuff. And that's why it's harder to remember things. Because this brain is so full. And we have to come back and remind ourselves regularly of who God is and what God says. So take advantage of this, of this tool. Verse 10. Verse 10, Paul says, For to this, to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God. It's Jesus. Jesus is our living God. And He is worth pursuing each and every day. And it is a toil. 
and it is a struggle. Because we live in a fallen world. But we need His words. Many of you weren't at the memorial service yesterday, but uh, you should have heard um, Janelle's testimony. That through the tears, through the pain, she knows that God is sovereign and God is with him. And he has a purpose in all of this. And she was giving him glory. She knows the God of the book. We need his word. Hoiling and striving keeps our faith fed. And keep our hope set on the living God. So train yourself for the purpose of godliness. And when you train yourself, we're not talking about this being legalistic. We're not doing this so that we will have more favor with God. That uh, God will think more highly of us. No. That's legalism. God can't be more in love with us uh, today than he ever has been. It's not because of what we do. It's because of who he is and his grace in our lives. And so we do this because of what he has done in our life. And we are overwhelmed with his grace and grateful for who he is. And so we want to get to know him more. This is why we are to pursue uh, godliness. So don't do it in a legalistic way. But godliness means that we focus on doctrine and the gospel. The gospel and doctrine are ever present with us. And we must be trained to discern the truth from error. And godliness, Paul says, is for, um, you know, exercise. It's helpful. It's good for us. But it only has a temporary benefit. Did you know that everybody who eats carrots, 100% of people who eat carrots are going to die? 100% of people who uh, use a treadmill are going to die. And it can go on and on. Physical training has its benefits. It's good to do. It's good for your body. It's good for your mental outlook. And as you can tell, I'm a being a hypocrite up here right at the moment. You know, my I have a desire to, but my body doesn't want to. And uh, But I know that I need to do this. And it has a temporary benefit. But when it comes to godliness, it has both a temporary benefit, 
temporary benefit uh, here on earth, but it has an eternal benefit as well. And that needs to be our highest priority, is pursuing godliness. And as a pastor, as Paul is instructing Timothy, this needs to be my highest priority. I need to have the time to focus on studying God's Word. And I just want to share with you as a church, it may not sound like it on on Sunday mornings, week to week, but I'm grateful for the time that this church gives me to focus on the Word of God. It's, it's my heart's desire that I be prepared as I stand before you. Now this morning, <laughs> as I'm working through my job description, I'm not as prepared this morning as I typically am on a Sunday morning. I had some distractions this week. And uh, yesterday was Caden's memorial service, and I just couldn't get my mind uh, off of that uh, completely to focus on this mis- message. But for the most part, I have the time to uh, spend as and I teach from the overflow of my life. But Paul tells me here in this passage in Timothy that need, this needs to be the priority, the focus of my ministry. Allowing the Spirit of God to convict me first before I come before you to preach. And so that's my heart's desire, that I teach uh, from the overflow. And that I teach accurately. You know, I'm grateful for the elders of our church. And there's, there's been on occasion where things that I've shared in this pulpit, the elders of the church have pinged me on. And we've had some hearty conversations uh, in elders' meetings. And they've been helpful. And those conversations have been healthy. And you, you, you ought to know in this church uh, that your elders are conscientious that the Word of God is taught accurately, um, appropriately. And, and we have those, those conversations. And I'm grateful. And as a, as a pastor, and I get those pains, not just from elders, but from others in the church. You know, it's important that I set a godly example and that I take the high road in that criticism and not just immediately become defensive or something of that nature. Wayne Reynolds told me years ago in ministry that uh, when someone approaches you with criticism, hear what they have to say. There's always a grain of truth in every word of criticism. Humbly receive what they have to say. And yet there are times where I have convictions in my point of view from Scripture that I'm passionate about. But in the end, we come to to an understanding. And there's some things that I, I learn uh, as, a re- as a result. But Paul says this in verse 13 um, in, in making Scripture a priority. He says this, Until I come, devote yourself to the 
public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift which has been given you. Verse 16, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so, by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. This pursuit of godliness and knowing God's truth and teaching, it is both for my own salvation and for the benefit of the hearers. So you ought to be appreciative of the elders in this church because they care about your spiritual health that you know the truth, that we are all on the same page when it comes to God's Word. Now, going back just a a moment to um, what Paul says in verse 10. For to this end we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people especially of those who believe. What's Paul saying there? Is Paul teaching universalism? If I were to say yes, trust me, I would be pinged by the elders this afternoon, okay? No, he's not talking about universalism. Um, Not everybody is going to be saved. But when the people of God and a society in general, when they take... God's moral laws seriously, um, that the the Ten Commandments are important and uh, they benefit a society and a culture. When, when the people of God take His Word seriously and live by His Word, there's a common grace that uh, affects the community. And that is a form of salvation. No, is it eternal salvation? No, but it's God's grace. It's God's blessing being poured out on them. You know, I I think about um, the most recent election in our community and how the Christian community stood up to our city council who wanted uh, an Indian bingo to come to, to Ridgecrest. And the Christian community, for the most part, didn't want to have anything to do with a casino in Ridgecrest. It would change the culture of our community. And the people of God stood up, and they elected us a person who would represent their, their values. And... Um, when it came to the next vote, after uh, the new city, city council was sworn in, <laughs> it went from uh, three to two, the city council wanting the Indian bingo to, to be here, to zero to five, that the Indian bingo was not to come to Ridgecrest. You can clap. You can give God praise. You know what? That, that is an illustration of the salvation 
God wants to be to this community. Did that save the people? No. Do they have a personal relationship? No. There's a lot of people who disagree with that. But our community is going to be far better off that we don't have this ungodly influence in in our community. So that's what Paul is referring to, who is the savior of all people, that common grace that's made available, but then especially to those who believe. And he's talking about God's elect who believe God's word and are disciplining themselves in godliness. And so Timothy, Pastor Bill, this is your responsibility. And then the last per- part of, of uh, chapter 4, verses 11 through 16, Paul is telling Timothy, Timothy, set a godly example. Again, everybody might not agree with what you have to say, but humbly receive what uh, they have to share with you. Um, don't for Timothy he was probably in his mid 30s as he was the pastor of this church and Paul is saying Timothy don't let people look down on your youthfulness if you conduct yourself in a certain way they're going to see you as a person far more church, mature uh, far uh, far beyond your years of um, mature beyond your age and what are those areas that you need to be aware of verse 12 in your speech in your conduct in your love in your faith in your purity focus on these things demonstrate Timothy your submission to the authority of the Word of God. The Word of God, church, is to be primary in this church because the Word of God is the person of Jesus Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh to dwell among us. Jesus is our everything. I don't want to be the generation like Israel in Judges chapter 2. Judges chapter 2 verse 10 says, All that generation also were gathered together with their fathers. That means they died. And there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord or the work that he had done for Israel. How does that happen? It happens because pastors stop preaching the word of God. And there are many pastors today who have stopped preaching God's word and are just tickling men's ears and giving them what they want to hear. And they don't know truth from error. It happens that way and it happens too when parents stop caring 
that church is optional. They give their kids the choice. You want to go to church today or not? Children don't have that freedom of choice. My kids never had that choice. They knew that every Sunday they were going to church whether they wanted to or not. And it wasn't just because I'm the pastor. This this letter to Timothy, these instructions, yeah, they're to me, they're to the elders, but they're for all of us. We are all to pursue godliness. And I know that the the enemy has created a whole lot of options out there for our Sundays. And there are parents in our community who take sports a whole lot more seriously than they do the Word of God. And they're out on a ball field today, and I want you to know that that ball field, that sport, is not going to get them to heaven. And when they become of age and when they have their own family, guess what? They'll take that same priority and they're, they're going to pass that on to their kids. And that's, we're left with a, with a generation that's godless. And church, we are very close to being there. I fear for my grandkids. I fear for my great-grandkids. Moms and dads, we can turn the tide. You can start in our home with our children. Moms and dads, if your kids are grown and your kids have kids of their own and they're already going down this road, you're still their grandmother. You're still their grandfather. I'm here today because of my grandparents. If it weren't for my grandparents, my parents would have given me the opportunity to choose to go or not. They weren't taking me to church. But my grandparents made sure my mom was going to toe the line. <laughs> And I'm grateful for a mamma and papa. And grandparents, you can have that kind of influence as well. Now, for my family, we were we were dysfunctionally close growing up in Fresno t- together. Maybe you don't have that kind of proximity. But phone calls. Through prayer, through your lifestyle when they are uh, in your home, by coming with you to church when you have the opportunity, you can plant those seeds. Pursue godliness. We need Him. We need to be worshiping at His feet daily corporately, weekly, because he is our all in all. Let's pray. Thank you for truth. 
Thank you for the words of life. There's no other place we can turn to. Jesus, you asked your disciples, do you want to leave too? Peter said, where else are we going to go? Jesus, you have the words of life. Oftentimes we take that for granted. And we don't get into it. We're not disciplining ourselves. But God, I thank you for your grace. and You're always there and you're waiting for us. Take you seriously. Thank you for God the Gregory's the example there are to us in the midst of their pain, their darkness. God they know that you are there because they know the God of the book. I thank you for the elders of this church who take your word seriously, who are teachers of the word to various generations and have hearing hearts and want to make sure that what's being shared is accurate. God, help us to guard, protect, not hide this book, but guard it, teach it well, teach it accurately. We'll thank you for what you do. In Christ's name. As we continue to worship, let's worship as we sing this song and thanking him in our hearts for who he is giving us this his word stand with me please as we worship together